You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history, find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. The articles, the articles still of people ordering just the most ridiculous stuff from China will probably never cease to amaze me. Yeah, I'm just going to let you know up front. This part has nothing to do with the actual topic of the show. I just thought this would be uh, this would be where we kind of start things. Three samples of ice cream tested positive for COVID-19 in China. Um, how, who, why, who is ordering ice cream from China that's a genuine question you'd think that that would just be one of those things that you don't have to order from there but apparently it happens not even gonna go ahead and share the link for this one it's just just an observation that those people exist can't blame them though I bought a quote, $5,000 luxury watch for only $25 on Wish.com. Yeah, that's right. You heard me bring it up if you listened to our last uh, episode of the Degenerate Panel a few weeks ago talking about uh, people that are creating their own fake Cyberpunk 2077 apps. And, uh, you know, when kids are downloading them, their phones are getting taken hostage. You know, people basically say, if you want your phone back, you have to wire us a million dollars in Bitcoin or, or something ridiculous like that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I fell for something that I knew was fake. They, they said this watch was a genuine Tudor watch, and they just had too many of them. So they had to sell this watch, which would otherwise be $5,000 for $23. Didn't have to pay for shipping didn't come in a box, didn't come with anything. They said it would have a ceramic bezel. That is a lie. They said it would have sapphire crystal. That is a lie. They said it would have a screw-down crown. That is a lie. The clasp came broken, and they said it would also be an automatic, and that is a lie. This uh, this watch, I'm holding it right in front of me. It's on a plastic faux leather strap, which is as fake as the watch itself. And now I just keep it at my work desk just to keep time. I can't often keep my phone near me when I'm working, uh, especially when I'm recording because, you know, it's it's constantly going off. And, of course, everyone who knows me knows I'm always wearing a watch. But sometimes when I've got, you know, keyboards and microphones and my Rodecaster switchboard and everything else, it gets a little bit r- ridiculous. But, yeah, I keep this watch here just as a reminder that – There are people who are going to take watches like this. They're genuinely shitty and fake, and they're going to wear it out in public. And I will never wear this out in public. And uh, those people exist. And those are still the same people buying 
ice cream from China. And then they get surprised. When it has COVID, that's the world we live in now. Lots and lots of strange people. But uh, that's not what we're going to talk about today. I found this article over at theblaze.com. This one I will link to the show notes today so you can actually go out and read it afterwards. Uh, This got me right in the feels, especially uh, the timing. The timing is always strange when certain things like this pop up. They tend to find you in a moment where uh, you really wonder, hmm, did this article just randomly pop up for me? Not going to get into stuff going on for me right now, but lots of changes. Some really awesome that I'm trying really not to take for granted. Some a little intimidating, a little scary. Lots of what-if scenarios. If you're anything like me, uh, you know, when... When you hear one ounce of something that might possibly go bad, you, you don't go into pessimist mode. You go into complete uh, catastrophist mode. And uh, that's where I am with some things. I'm always like that. I, my mind will spend hours, days, you know, not eating, not doing anything, just being like toxic as hell, not productive, distract myself with busy work just for the sake of being busy, only for the for the real thing to come and it passes and nothing was that bad. But then you look back and you look at the moments where you're like, I spent days freaking out about this. I spent so long being nervous and just completely all over the place. And, you know, not very fun. But this article showed up online. You probably read it by now. Deceased Texas man goes viral after sharing moving advice in his own obituary. Do not, quote, save the nice, save things for nice. Nice may never happen. Life is lived now. And uh, that's, that's where we're at. It sounds so very... Simple. This is the type of stuff you might see on like an office poster. You know, like, hang on, man. It's just a little cat hanging on to a tree limb. It's like, just hang on a little bit longer. Firefighters will be here. You, you see this article will probably survive for years and years, and people will, sh- will share it because they just want to share something nice in someone's day. But stirring up a lot of emotions is the subheadline. Uh, I got to say, it succeeded at that. I'll go ahead and just read along and throw my thoughts in here. Who knows, maybe at the time that you're listening to this, this episode also catches you in a melancholy moment when you're like, huh, is this going to make me more sad or is it going to make me feel better after I listen to this and read this? I don't know. We'll we'll have to to figure that out together. A 75-year-old Texas man has posthumously gone viral after penning, uh, posthumously is always one of those words that's difficult for me, so sorry, posthumously gone viral after penning his own obituary, which was rife with personal anecdotes and heartfelt wisdom. Um, Writing your own obituary, you know, there's like a psychology exercise of that, like if you had to write your own obituary, what would you want to, what would you want people to write about you? Or what are the things that you want people to say about you at your own funeral? It's actually a pretty interesting exercise. I've done it myself. I've never, I've not written my own obituary. But, uh, you know, 
I've I've seen other people do it, and they say it's uh, it's like a holding a mirror up to yourself. I mean, you could think you look one way or another, but ultimately, you really see the truth. But anyway, what are the details? Lonnie Dillard, seventy-five, an Austin resident, died on December eighteenth. That's five days after my birthday. Just a month after receiving a diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer. Upon receiving the sad news of his terminal fate, Dillard went ahead and wrote his own obituary in a moving farewell letter. I suspect very few of you reading this knew me personally. Um, He wrote, You may merrily be scanning today's obituary column out of boredom or morbid curiosity, like I used to do, for names or photos of people you know, have known, or know of and perhaps mumbling a prayer, silently congratulating yourself that you are not the one, not yet anyway, who has recently passed away. He continued, Whatever the reason for your attention, I hope to make your time worthwhile. Instead of cataloging careers and adventures I have had, honors I received, missteps I made, or women I loved, I was blessed to have more than my share of each of these or bemoaning how much my sparkling witter wisdom will be missed. I thought it better to share a few big lessons I learned during my 75 eventful years on planet Earth. Dillard's first lesson. A mother's unwavering love can turn a very ordinary little boy into an extraordinary man, if only in his own mind. Making and keeping friends, like tending a garden, requires attention and effort he added. If doing so yields great, greater returns than anything else you will ever do. Dillard continued, as Buddhists say, be kind. Everyone you meet is traveling a difficult journey. There is no substitute for a good deed, but simply helping a stranger laugh or smile can lighten the load too. If your word is no good, chances are very good you are not either, Dillon pointed out. Having money is always better than not having money. I second that. Uh, he added, But beyond basic needs and a few luxuries, money is not a requirement for happiness. Enough really is enough. Greed can hollow out the heart, even topple civilizations. Dillard later insisted that learning is as important, if not more so, as anything else. Time spent learning anything is never time wasted, he added. And speaking of waste, it's a sin, according to Dillard. Do not save for nice... For, uh, wait, this is, this is kind of strange how it's kind of written, so excuse me. Do not, save for, do not save things for nice, he continued. Not the new guest room towels, the good crystal that will surely chip with everyday use, nor that ridiculously expensive jacket you bought on a lark in Florence quote, nice may never happen. Life is lived now. Dillard is also, uh, Dillard, I can't read. What is wrong with me? I swear I'm sober. Um, Dillard also insisted that happiness is not the result of what does or does not happen to you in your life, but a decision you make on a daily basis. He concluded, unfortunately, I did not know all these lessons all my life. Some I paid very dearly to learn or relearn, but I do know that if I could live my life over, 
I would want these as a starter kit. The obituary for Dillard, who was married to his wife, Sandy Sane, for nearly 40 years closed. Lonnie Dillard was born May 7, 1945, and grew up in West Texas. He died at home in Austin on December 18th after learning of a diagnosis of stage 4 pancreatic cancer on November 11th. Lonnie is survived by his loving wife of 35 years, Sandy, and friends too numerous and far-flung to mention. Let's just sit in silence for a moment and just internalize this. Let's do that. Yep, yep, that was that was too long. Um I've said it a couple times before, but every episode is somebody's first episode. And if this is your first episode, I promise it's not usually this glum and I'm usually more interesting to hear from. But for some of you that have been with me for a while, and there are many of you, and I'm so humbled to hear this each and every time, this is something for you. As you may well know, this was supposed to start as a travel show on the run. There's a little bus on the logo and everything. It was supposed to be me traveling. Uh, when I was at the Washington Times, I traveled quite a bit. As a social media coordinator, I never knew I was going to get to travel as much as I did, but I, uh, I convinced them to send me some pretty awesome places. And the idea was I was going to travel and do Anthony Bourdain-style episodes, and you were going to hear about me from faraway places talking to amazing people. Instead, I get to talk to amazing people from the safety of my own basement. Because when this show started in May, I'm sorry, in March of, well, I mean, let, let me go back. It, the, the show premiered in May of 2020, but the whole concept of it was in March. And at that point, I already put down the money and everything and spangle the program director, as you all know. He, he already put forth the time and the effort and the publicity and stuff. So at that point, it was like, well, shit. I've gotta, I've gotta figure this out. Gotta, gotta learn how to make it work. And we did. I did. We couldn't travel physically, but we could travel intellectually. We could travel um, spiritually. We could take ourselves away from the things that keep us anchored down for a little bit during the day and we could learn and laugh and have a good time. And uh, some of you might know this, but this was not my first podcast. Uh, when I first started, it was all politics all the time. And frankly, I, it was not, it, it was a good show to build up my confidence, my knowledge, my name recognition, but it's not the type of show that I wanted to do when I came back. And when I was speaking with Chris Bangle in 2018, I'm sorry, in 2020, bleh, when I was speaking with him in 2020, I explicitly told him, uh, you know, I want to get back into podcasting, but it's not going to be politics. It's not going to be just current events all the time. I, I want to talk about the things that I want to talk about with the people I want to talk about them with. And I want to do it my way. And he said, do it. Do it. It's a lot of faith in somebody to bring them into your home, essentially, the We Are Libertarians Network, and give them complete editorial control 
over what they say. And that's something I'm grateful for. Um, but going back to it, that the old podcast, uh, it, it reflects a point in my life where I'm living for what I feel is expected of me, where I'm living for what I feel I have to do in order to get by and succeed and do well. And uh, since this show has been around, we've talked about many different things with many different people about things as far as aliens to parallel earths and politics. And, you know, we, we've talked to everyone from like morticians to professional filmmakers to journalists to politicians to everything from philosophy to religion and it's it's so it's so much fun. I wanted to create a mosaic, a, basically an audio mosaic of the things that pique our curiosities and capture our attention and invigorate our imagination. And I think I've done that pretty well. I'll give myself a pat on the back with that. Um in the darkest of days, in the hardest of days, uh, this show has helped bring me out of the difficulties of life. And through this, what I have been able to do is really expand my worldview as much as I hope I've helped you expand yours. Uh, life is meant to be lived and celebrated because every day is a gift. And I think it was... It was either Tolkien or Lewis, one of the two. They said, what is hardship or what, what is pain or what is misery? It's something like that. What is misery if not a gift from God? And that's one of those things where it's, it's kind of a stoic saying in a way. Because without pain, you can't know joy. Without sadness, you can't know happiness. Without hate, you can't learn love. You can't appreciate the good times unless you have the bad times to compare them to. And uh, it bothers me when I see some very bright people, some very amazing, happy people, just obsess over stuff that has nothing really to do with them. Uh, you look at the news, or you don't like a politician, or you don't like something somebody said far away. And, and you feel that because of the little screen in front of you and all the bullshit you see around, that it, it, it is directly impacting your life. But the truth is, there is a giant, giant world out there. Whether you see it or not, whether you have seen it or whether will see it, it's not the point. But there's more than enough space for you and everything else in the world. And uh, there will always be problems. I'm not telling you, you know, become nihilistic, give up, don't get involved, don't fight for anything. There will always be problems. But there seems to be this negativity towards people that try and find the joy. I see this with my other project, my little digital business with Mark Clare from Lines of Liberty. We co-host a show called the Second Print Comics Podcast. I talk about comic books and the stuff we love about comics and movies and fandom and more and on our website we talk about cosplay and fan films and comic reviews and art and all the things we love and i uh i'll post it 
I'll post stuff throughout the day, old episodes, articles, stuff like that. And people will jump on me like a freaking jackal. And they'll be like, don't you know this thing is going on in the world? How dare you focus on this stupid shit? Grow up. Or comics. Comics are for children. Go go read the Constitution. It's like, my God, please. I have a degree in political science. Save me your lecturing. I've read it more than you. I know it better than you. So shut up. Um, in a way, though, it's kind of funny. I used to, I used to be that way about people when it came to sports. It's like, how can you be so obsessed over sports? Don't you know there's a war going on and stuff like that? And uh, I was at that point too, many, many moons ago. And uh, eventually got to the point where I realized I only get so many rotations around the earth and there's only so much that can be done. So I think of the stuff from Marcus Aurelius and Meditations and to update it for simple man's usage, control what you can't control. I'm sorry, control what you can control. Know what you can't control and have the wisdom to know the difference. And I've done that. I still do that. And sometimes I forget it. And sometimes I fail. And then I have to remind myself again. But that's the thing, though. That's life. That's, that's the journey we're on. There's a... There's a story about... Uh, when I really began to question, it's like, what do I want to do? And I think I've said this a handful of times. I don't think I've ever actually done it here. But I had a, I had a good friend about, I was 12, so I want to say 10 years. Let's say 10 years. And a good friend. Uh, he was a bit older than me, about three three, four years at most. And uh, he was a bit of a role model of mine. We were uh, cadets in the Civil Air Patrol, and you know he was, he was like the token dude who was good at everything, but incredibly humble leader, incredibly kind-hearted person. That's the thing that people remember him for. He was incredibly kind and incredibly capable. And he was, uh, he was an ROTC cadet, went on to be a soldier's soldier, would have easily, without a doubt, uh, become a Green Beret, like what he always wanted to do. And by the time he was 21, he had been to air assault school, and he was one of the top cadets in the country, and he was part of the Corps of Cadets at Virginia Tech. And then one day, this incredibly healthy, incredibly young man, I think I was about 20, I was 20, he was about 23, he, uh, he was driving his fiance, beautiful woman, home from a, uh, from somewhere, and as they got into her driveway, he uh, he clutched his chest, and he suffocated to death. And within about two, three minutes, he died of a massive heart attack. And that was... That was on a Tuesday... And I learned about it the following day, and I'm pretty sure that for the rest of the week, 
I still didn't believe it was real. And during that time as well, my step-grandfather, a man who I had known since I was about in 12th grade, uh, he married my, my mother's mother, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. Uh, we didn't have a great relationship. We weren't friends or anything, but like we got along. And I, I respected him, and I actually did appreciate him because he kept my grandmother, who is still thankfully with us to this day, uh, he, he gave her affection and companionship during a latter time in both of their lives. He was, he was 10 years older than her. And uh, towards the end of his life, he, he, just, he, he just was not the best person to be around. And my parents in Virginia routinely had to fly down to Arizona to take care of him because his own children, um, they, they, never, they, never t- they, they basically erased him from their life. His, his one daughter was a, is a giant alcoholic. And it was basically left for my mother, who really owed nothing to this man, uh, to take care of him. And uh, she never gets enough credit for it. But she just, I mean, she, she felt like she had to do it. And that's the sign of a, of a good person, because she felt like she had to. She felt it was her obligation, because nobody else could. And even when she wasn't happy doing it all the time, she still did it because she was a good person. And uh, I resented him for how complicated he was making things for my grandmother, for how complicated he was making things for my parents. As I look back, it wasn't even his fault. He was just somebody who's at the end of his life and he's scared. And a lot is happening and a lot of things are changing. They took him to doctor's appointments. They took him to see lawyers. They helped him plan his estate and everything. And uh, eventually about two weeks Two weeks passed after Joe died. I just became very resentful of this man. And uh, I'm like, this this old man, who is he? He's making my family's life difficult. He's not even my grandfather. Like, he, he just latched on to my family, and he is, um, he's just made our lives difficult. We didn't want him. We don't even really like him. Why is it he got to live to be such an, such a nuisance, yet my good friend who was an amazing man and who did a lot for his community and who would have done a lot for his country, why is it he gets to die? That's, that's not fair. So I'm grabbing lunch with my girlfriend's family and I'm complaining about this, this man. And at one point I say out loud, if, uh, if he died today, I wouldn't care. And I shit you not, I get a text from my father who had just three days prior with my mother got arrived back in Virginia from Arizona after checking him into a full-time care facility. And they said, uh, Remso, we're going back to Arizona in two days. Uh, he just died. And I, uh, I felt the most sinking feeling in my life like when when my friend died I cried when cats and dogs have died I've I've become just a wreck of a person 
And when he died, it wasn't sadness, but it was almost like I had wished it into reality. And it was, um, it was the ultimate moment of bad timing. And when you think about the loss of life, it's one of those things that sticks with you. I just remember being so solemn for the next couple days because I felt, who am I to say that? Who am I to give value to somebody else? Who am I to dictate who should live and who should die in those cases? And uh, after that, I go on a lot of self-discovery. It's one reason why I got into the whole ghost hunting thing with my brother uh, for a show, The Witching Hour, um, which I'd be a terrible host if I didn't plug you. It's in the show notes if you want to go f- watch the first couple seasons. Uh, good show. But um, it, it's one of those things where I, I really began to question. It's like, how much time do we really have? Why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Why don't we learn from our mistakes in a more concrete way? What What is this giant marble in the universe that we're, we're on and why do we let some things matter to us and uh, it would take years years I want to say a good three four years for me to really get it the ultimate question what is in your control what is not in your control and how do I have the wisdom to learn the difference Four things I wish of listeners. One, that you willingly take some time to listen to people you might not agree with or might not understand. Uh, I joined a new social media site recently called MeWe, because Parlor, unless some things have changed by the time this episode has come out, I'll either say congratulations or rest in power, uh, got taken down. 29,000 followers, biggest driver from all my projects in terms of traffic. Uh, that's poof, gone, Thanos snapped, um, just gone like that to ashes. Uh, I joined MeWe, which is just basically poor man's Facebook. It's like Detroit, like no one there. You might occasionally see people like scurrying in the shadows, but they're not there. Um, somebody actually took the time to, uh, to comment on one of my many posts there because I've got like five people following me and stuff like that. But one person followed me over from, well, they followed me from parlor to my newsletter and then from my newsletter to MeWe. And uh, it was an article with Alexander Salter discussing the events at the Capitol. And Alexander thinks that Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and all these other people should resign and stuff. And we agree on some, I didn't agree on that stuff, but it was a good conversation nonetheless. Um, good talk, good guy. And, uh, this person, who I guess is a listener, I want to be respectful. Uh, she comments, you know, I really like your podcast. And I really like listening to you, but uh, th- this this was not an episode you should put out because his rhetoric is just as bad. And did he say the same thing about the BLM and the AOCs and all this other stuff? And who is he to say this? And, you know, he doesn't speak for us and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, you just, you're just so triggered. If you listen to the episode, you would, you would come to a completely different uh, conclusion, I hope, because I addressed all those things at the beginning. One, did, did you have a consistent uh, answer when all this other stuff happened? Secondly, 
Are, are you consistent through all these things? Lastly, uh, where do we find ourselves in disagreement? So that way we can focus on where we agree. Um, because I, 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 you know, I'm human. I jump to gut reactions too. And uh, I didn't want to be mean to this person or question their intelligence. If you're listening to this and you were that person who comments, I do really appreciate you. But like, I, I forget what it was I actually said. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pull it up now. I'm going to read from it. This is me reading your feedback. Let me see. I'll read the, I'll read the whole thing. Uh, and if I lose one person because of this, I'm sorry. But it's a good fucking example. Um, I enjoy your podcast, but with all due respect, and that right there is what always pisses me off. If you're going to say something that's going to bother me, don't say it. With all due respect, just fucking say it, okay? When you have someone on... Al, you know, in, in parentheses, Alexander Salter, who spews nasty rhetoric such as he, tr- you know, Trump, and his movement are a festering wound in the American body politic. You lose me. I could do without his, quote, principal conservatism if this is the kind of conservative we are supposed to look up to as an ideal. Um, like, you know, I bring people on to have those conversations because we have to talk with people who we don't align with sometimes. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about all of that and I'm not holding him up as a standard. I'm holding him up as somebody that wrote something that triggered a lot of people. And I want to talk about it to understand more about it. And, uh, this is, this is how I replied. Thank you for being a listener. As you know, I try and speak with people who don't agree with me so I can understand them and ask them direct questions. As you heard, we even found some areas we agree on, such as the 17th Amendment and term limits. I hope you learn something new about people who think this way and can use this knowledge in your own arguments going forward to defend your points. And I guess, show newest reply. Oh, there's, there's nothing there. Miwi sucks. Follow me on MeWe. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I'm just looking at that, and I'm just like, you're just so, so upset. You're so upset. You're so, you're so bothered defending a man who will never know your name and probably wouldn't like you if he even knew who you were. That, that's what it is. And I've said it before, the people that stormed the Capitol, which was very few of the people that were there, um, they weren't doing it for individual liberty. They weren't doing it for limited government. They weren't doing it for free markets. They weren't doing it for anything. They did it because their guy lost and they didn't like it. And the people that went to that rally were wasting their time because, as I said, as somebody that could have easily just taken an Uber over there because that's how close I live, uh, versus the people that flew out of state, took time off from f- spending time with family, took time off from work to go to a rally that's just going to make Rudy Giuliani a lot of money because of press appearances and a potential book deal with all the other grifters and bullshit. You got to learn how to spend your time and you got to know the truth. And the truth is inconvenient sometimes. I look back and what I hate to see are moments where I have spent time in a state of fear in a state of avoidance, because I'm afraid of what's to come. 
I say or do things out of a pure emotional state instead of actually facing them head on. And that's the hard thing. Because there are a lot of things that excite me. And there are a lot of things I look forward to. And there are a lot of things that scare me and things that frighten me that I know I'm just going to have to face. Like many of you. There are things that bother me when I try and go to sleep. There are things that scare me when I wake up in the morning. There are negative things I think about throughout the day when I should be thinking about something else. What I like to think is that the worst outcomes are in my head and everything else in reality is ultimately short of that. But then there's the what if. When people say I'm sick and the doctor is worried. When people say a loved one has passed on. When somebody says, I'm sorry, we have to let you go. You could think of the whole list, and those are the things you can't often prepare yourself for, especially when you didn't see them coming. And I'd like to think I know what to do. And the truth is, I often can't. We have a lot of things coming forward this year from me. I'm going to start doing more exclusive video content on Rumble because there's a lot of stuff that I want to show you and a lot of stuff I want to talk about that is better done through the medium of video. Uh, There's some other projects I can't talk about too much right now because they're in such an early stage and I don't want to be the guy that overpromise as I've done at some points in my life, and then it just doesn't happen. I'm on record having talked about it, and then I just feel foolish. But uh, I've got some stuff that's some super secret squirrel type of stuff that will hopefully impact your life. And I mean it. Genuinely impact. Like, your life will not be the same after you decide to take the plunge and join me in this project. You're going to join me. Um, season three of my show, The Witching Hour, will come out this year. The final season of our award-winning public access TV series and YouTube show where me and my brother and my good friends lock ourselves in scary buildings and try and see what goes bump in the night. And uh, we'll be continuing with Mark at Second Print Comics talking about the things that brighten our day and uh, give us something to look forward to that is nothing but pure fun for fun's own sake. What, What I'm getting at is There's a lot of stuff I have to do, not because I have to do it, but because I want to do it. And it might seem like work, but it genuinely helps put purpose in my life. And it makes me happy when I create something that you enjoy. On the Run has been about giving you the knowledge and the insights, and if not always giving you the answers making you genuinely want to ask the questions about why I'm here, where am I going, and what is possible. And what I want to do right now is put out a challenge to you. If this show has impacted you in any way, if you've started a business, if you've made a career change, if you've started a podcast, a blog, if you've done stuff in your community, if you've gone back to church, you've adopted the stoic philosophy if 
I have done something that even I can't think of off the top of my head through this show that has made an impact in your life. I want to hear about it. You can go ahead and write to the show in the contact form on the website on the run.firesideoff.fm in the contact section and just send me a letter, send me an email. Heck, I'll even let you come on the show if it's something cool. Even if like it's something small, but it's meaningful to you. Let's have you on. I'll bring you on here. I want to know. I want I want to show you off. I want I I want to be proud of you. Because a lot of you have reached out to me individually. And when you do that, that makes my heart grow three sizes larger. And what I want you to know is that you're not alone. That life is difficult. That, you know, sometimes things are unfair. That things are difficult. But through that, we can make things better. Because at the end of the day, the one truth that I can say without certainty, I'm sorry, with absolute certainty, is that happiness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. You have to choose it. Yes, sometimes it just comes, but ultimately, you have to choose it. And this is what makes the show different. I don't have the listenership I had with my old show. I'll be honest, because it's easy to talk to people that I genuinely don't like about shit that I think is going to get me clicks when people go ahead and Google a generic thing and then they find the show. It's, it's, it's hard not to want to just write the top of the minute, uh, hot button, you know, clickbaity shit that will be forgotten in a year and won't matter anywhere. But at the same time, right here, the conversations are genuine. We're having conversations that I want to have that you want to have about the stuff that we want to talk about. And it'll, it'll be almost a year by the time you're listening to this episode. And our downloads are doubling by the month. And it's a, it's a bit slower than if I had done things the easy way when I thought I was putting out the stuff I had to do. But now I found my pace. I'm putting out the stuff I want to do. The stuff that you genuinely like. The stuff that's genuinely expanding your world, putting you on the run from conventional thinking, broken institutions, and empty promises, and deceitful rhetoric. Because the people that listen to this show are doers. They are men and women of action. And if you need somebody to tell you this, I will be that person. I am proud of you. I appreciate you. You matter, and you make changes in the lives of those around you, whether it be a million people or just yourself. This is the one shot we get. You can be fearful. You can be scared. But you cannot let fear dictate your life. No matter what is happening... Life will go on, and it will always be as complicated, and it will be scary. But happiness is a choice. Joy is a choice. To be free and live your life on your terms is an absolute choice. And the fact that you choose to let me be part of your life a few hours a week is one of the greatest honors I have. 
And I promise you, I commit to you, we're going forward nonstop, and it's just going to get more fun and more awesome from here. That's all I've got. No more pitches. I'll talk to you later in the week. Thank you. I admire you. I respect you. God bless you. I'm Remsa W. Martinez, and I'll talk to you later. Good night. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Like the Chris Spangle Show, Liberty Explained, The Brian Nichols Show, The Boss Hog of Liberty, Freedom Strips with Keaton Tucker, On the Run with Rimzo Martinez, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann, Upward Libertarian Activism, and now hear this. Tune in now and we're going to help you sound smarter when talking with your friends. 